Welcome back to the OML Podcast. I'm Mike Fina, Executive Director of the Oklahoma Municipal League and your host for this podcast. Today's episode is very much focused on OML because we're talking with Mayor Kim Peterson, who is the mayor of Guymon, but also the new president of OML. It's not unfair to compare Kim to the likes of, say, former Governor George Nye or even Will Rogers. He has a country-like charm and is never without a clever quip, and generally, anyone who meets Kim instantly likes him. He's just that kind of Oklahoman. Beyond his political career, Kim is a very successful entrepreneur running Honey's Restaurant in Guymon. Honey's has a cult-like following. Senator Inhofe has been known to fly into Guymon just to eat at Honey's. And if you know Kim, there's a, there's a pretty good chance that you've received a mason jar of barbecue sauce as a gift. And if you have received a jar, you know just how good his food is. Kim is an Oklahoma original, and we are fortunate to have him at the helm for OML. And we're happy to have him here today. Well, Kim, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Well, I'm wonderful. I'm tick- I'm honored and tickled to be here, Mike. <laughs> I, I'm just curious, is this the very first podcast you've ever been a participant on? Uh, that, I, that I know about, yes. <laughs> I think this is the first one. We're very excited to have you here today. Um, as, as, as I was just talking about, uh, you, you are the new president of the Oklahoma Municipal League, and, and we're excited about that too. But uh, I want to talk uh, today, we're going we're gonna to kind of get deep into you know, who and what uh, Kim Peterson is. Uh, because I think you have a very, you've had a very interesting municipal career that has led you to to the presidency of, of OML, and so we're going to cover some of those things today. So why don't we just start with the hometown? What, what's happening in Guymon? Well, Mike, we've got more things happening, and uh, you know I hope everybody in the state's jealous of me, but uh, and, you know since I've been on the council, one of our one of our priorities that we we started out with. Some years back was the lack of housing. When we when we attracted, whenever Seaboard Foods and Seaboard Farms elected to come to Guyman, we really got behind the eight ball on housing. And in the last 25 years, if we've had probably the top number of houses we've had built in a year has been four or five, and we've had a distinct housing shortage. So right currently, right now, we have 100 housing units under construction in Guyman, which is just phenomenal. Part of them are going to be townhouses, apartments, but, but a lot of them are going to be very, they're not, they're a, 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 one, one of them is a pro- program for an affordable housing, housing deal, but it's not low-income housing. It's a, 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 a federal tax credit grant, grant that uh, I think you can make up to 60% of the median income to qualify. Yeah, is that the program that was uh, originally designed for to to uh, attract educators to rural areas? That's what our our school superintendent's very excited about it because last year, looking for new teachers, and as everybody's well aware, there's quite a turnover in Oklahoma with teachers right now, and because the old ones like my wife, and she's not going to listen to this, I'm sure, <clears throat> but she she retired. And then she went back, but she just wasn't savvy to all the virtual stuff. So, but anyway, last last year, I'm getting windy. 
last year the uh, Lance got this, Lance Wendell got this project approved. The first phase is for 40 of these, 40 of these uh, tax credit homes. They're going to be 15 to 16 to 1700 square feet, two car garage, three bedroom, two bath, nice homes. But he's got to maintain them and retain ownership of them for 15 years before he can sell them. And the rents will probably be in the $800 range. That's a projection before this material costs and everything. <laughs> but anyway, what that means, a lot of our housing and government, our rental homes, homes, similar homes to rent right now are going for, for the $1,100 to $1,200 a month. So the, the school is very excited about it, and we're excited about that. The other thing, and I'm, I may spend a little bit too long time there, but as hard as I've worked over 10 years to help get that housing here, I've got to brag on it. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not a bragger. I don't think. <clears throat> then we just fit, completed uh, Hutch's convenience store, just built a new convenience store truck stop, one of their big ones. Uh, we did some work with them on that. We didn't have to do a lot of any incentives to get them here, which was kind of refreshing and nice. But uh, it's it's quite a quite a edifice, right? As you get, it's at the intersection of 412-54 and highways 136. Um, one of the things we're doing as far as the city, we were, we're of course, always challenged with water out in this part of the world. Uh, but we are getting ready to, uh, we've, we've been approved for, uh, for funding through the OWRB to do an automatic meter reading program, which we needed to get done because our existing program is outdated and no longer supported. But this will free up some resources. And the main thing is we're, we're wanting to do is the AMI which will give us the ability to track our water use on a minute by minute basis if we want to. And that will help us to hopefully help minimize the impacts of uh, quick drawdowns on our water system because Seaboard is one of our largest water consumers and we land apply their, their treated water, wastewater. But, uh, you know, we've got to keep Seaboard happy. They employ no, roughly 3,500 people in the in the Panhandle area, maybe a few more. They just recently made an additional investment in their plant in the last two years of 120 million dollars. Which, if you say it fast, it doesn't sound like a lot. Of <laughs> That's significant for the Panhandle, though. That's it is significant, and and they were very low key about that. But they're 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 our primary employer. We've got. Uh, Things happen with our school. We've got a new school superintendent. She's been here for two years. But there's just a lot of enthusiasm in the panhandle, and, and the housing is going to help us with economic development. The city, we're, we're stepping up, and we're starting to look at uh, probably coming out, just like everything, coming out of COVID, there's going to be a lot of changes, and there's going to be some changes in attitudes and the way we do business. But the main thing that we still are doing in Guyman is we try to, on a daily basis or when we get together, we try to remind ourselves that we're there to serve the public and do what's best for all the public, not just a, just not, not a splinter group or a small group. But that's, that's kind of some of the exciting things in Guyman. Uh, you know, I could probably make <laughs> stories and, and flower something else up, but these are all true. 
Right. <laughs> well, good. We just want the truth here on the podcast. So, um, so uh, recently, uh, JD Spawn, uh, who's, who was the same manager at Ardmore, and I said was because he's retired and now in, very much enjoying retirement. But he uh, surprised us all here at OML because he was the OML president, and he resigned midway through his term so he could enjoy retirement. And uh, you were part of that discussion. We know that JD had all the best intentions in in uh, in his retirement and we wish him the well but uh, it did it, it it sped your time frame up um, on being the president of OML by a half year so how how are you adjusting now to to just kind of have this thrown in your lap well you know Mike it's it, it's really hadn't been probably as dramatic as all that uh, one thing that that I've got to uh, first I've got to commend JD spawn JD was uh, was a great guy, and uh, I, you know, I, JD's one of those guys that he talked your leg off, not really. <laughs> but, no. you know, but but he was very thoughtful and very yeah. he thought about whatever he did. But but uh, you know, JD also he kind of got the short end of the stick on the presidency of OML because he was the president during the pandemic. And uh, with the COVID deal, and so I don't even rem- I don't even remember if we had a, a meeting with JD. Might have had one before the pandemic started, and I don't even remember. Yeah, I think you're right. He didn't have very many in-person meetings. Yeah, we went to go to meetings, and that's 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 a tough that's a tough way to uh, to to have to run a presidency, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. you rely on on seeing what everybody at the table's kind of thinking and body language. But anyway, JD's done a great job. I'm uh, I'm honored to take over for him. He's uh, I wish him and his daughter many hours of swimming and enjoying the summer. <laughs> and uh, but really it it hasn't been a tremendous shock. I guess uh, a lot of it goes to the fact that OML we have such a tremendous staff of people that work for OML and people that support OML. And so it hadn't been a lot of sticker shock with it. Hmm. Uh, it's uh, uh, I'm ready to get us back together and get us back into redeveloping and expanding our relationships in the capital and around the state. But but to me, uh, yeah, there's there's when the day that I got that you and JD gave me the phone call, uh, you know, it, it was kind of like kind of like the first time. You get news about maybe your first child or something. You kind of it's it's excitement, but then on the other hand, it's like, oh my! But it hadn't been that bad so far, and I don't expect it to be. In fact, I'm really anticipating and looking forward to it because I just think that coming out of the COVID, there's just going to be so many things are going to. A lot of things are going to stay the same, but a lot of things are going to change, mm-hmm. and so we've all got to get together. And, and work towards that positive change that will be the, be the very best for all of the citizens of our state. Well, that, uh, you know, we're fortunate here at OML, and thank you for those comments about uh, the OML team. I, I'm very proud of the team that we've put together here that, that, that really does support municipalities around the state. That's their passion and, and what they do every day. From our, but from our board perspective, I'll, I'll, I'll use a, I won't, I won't create a bedlam um, discussion here this morning. So I'll give OU and OSU both credits, kind of like the quarterbacks at either school. It's always just next man up. 
uh, because they're such quality bench, and that's the way OML is. So I, it, it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that it, it, it it's, has been – with little fanfare, you just stepped in and started in the job because you you were capable and ready to, to do it. So, uh, but that's that that speaks of just the quality of our board as well. So, you've you've had um, you've had a lot of big municipal events this year. Becoming OML president, you also were recently appointed from uh, vice mayor to mayor of Guymon. So, I guess I'm asking you the same question: How's the transition been there? Well, you know, it probably it hadn't again. It hadn't been any big thing. I, I'm not, you know, being mayor is not a new thing. I, when I first got elected, I was the vice mayor for two years, but we had a mayor that had some health issues, so I was acting mayor most of the time. And uh, then after he he didn't run, I was the mayor for four years. And then a couple of years ago, oh, I think there was a thought that, well, let's try something different. So so that's what the council elected to do. And I was fine with that. And, you know, fact is, being vice mayor through through the uh, COVID and the pandemic wasn't a terrible bad thing to be because you could always point the finger at somebody else. <laughs> but but I was behind the scenes and and the, the, the young man that was the mayor and we brought in a new city manager. They were very good about uh, calling me and asking me for for some guidance and stuff as we went through some things. So so it hadn't been a dramatic, dramatic change. And of course, uh, being voted back in as mayor, since we're a, a council elects the mayor out here, uh, it really hadn't been a, a lot different. The, probably the main difference is, is, is I'm, I'm working closer with Joe Donner, city manager. And so, you know, every city manager, every everybody that works for the city, uh, you might hire an economic development director, and you really like the one you had before that. But they have they have a little different way of doing it. So you got to learn to adapt to the way they want to do things, as far as city manager, or whatever. And he gets to adapt to kind of the way I want to do things too. So it's it's a fifty fifty deal. Right. And it it hadn't been it hadn't been terrible. You know, one of the one of the most satisfying things of uh, being a, an elected public official, and especially on a local level, is you get to see all your people every time you're, you know, we have a business, so when they come in, but we don't talk city business too much in here. But when I go to when I go to Walmart or I go somewhere else, you know, it's uh, it's kind of you, you stop and engage what you're doing as a city or what you're doing as a, as an as a mayor. By the number of people that come up and pat you on the back, and they they most most everybody I run into, they want to talk about the good things we're doing. I don't don't get a lot of the negatives. I, I experienced that too as mayor. For the most part, people were were respectful and and did want to want to talk about the better things. It's just you know then those issues pop up and. You never know what it's going to be, and then everybody's upset. But those are always kind of like flash fires to me. They're there, then they go away, and then then you're back to just trying to make your your community better. But you know, you started and and I uh, to talk about your business, and I think this would be like the perfect time for a commercial break. So if you want to talk about the world famous barbecue from the Panhandle, I will give you the floor. Well, most most everybody. That I know down throughout the state, all of my friends from the east. Let's put it that way. 
Those downstaters, is that, what, is that what you call them? I don't refer to you as downstaters anymore. I try to refer to you as my friends from the East. <laughs> but uh, most of them have, at one time or other, probably been gifted with some of our sauce or maybe some ribs or, you know. And we've, we used to cater. We used to feed everybody in the capital back years ago when the pork industry first started out here. And uh, anyway, we've got small, it's a, I've been doing the, I bought this business 26 years ago as a semi-retirement deal. The gentleman that I bought it from was 76 years old. And he said, I'll tell you what, kid, he said, this will keep you busy three or four days a week. You can make X number of dollars without, without a lot of help. And I had a building to do it in. And so we bought him out. And uh, shortly thereafter, it wasn't three and four days a week. It turned into five and six and seven and then eight. And we just found out, I guess we had a product and, and found a niche for a while. And, and we have a restaurant now. But see, it's honey. And, you know, a lot of people know who we are. A lot of people don't. But sooner or later, we figure us out. A lot of people do. I've, you know, my, you know this, but I'll tell for our, our listeners, I have family that lives in the panhandle of Texas. And they travel through the panhandle of Oklahoma to Kansas and uh, different places, but they always stop at Honey's for barbecue. And for years, um, I, I didn't know that. And then my my uncle had suggested that if I'm ever out that way, I try. I'm like, well, the guy who owns it's a mayor. He's a dear friend of mine, so yes, of course. And he brings me ribs, so I just I get the orders all the way to Oklahoma City. So, but uh, no, you, your your business is very renowned, uh, especially in that area. So. Um, which is also another a good transition into, uh, you know, you have been called a lot of things in your life, Kim. Uh, now, barbecue entrepreneur, <laughs> president, uh, mayor. I'm sure there's a few we can't mention on the podcast. But one of the things that I think is the most appropriate title that you've been given is the ambassador of the panhandle. Now, you and I have had these conversations on at least a dozen occasions about the importance of, of, of your efforts outside of Western Oklahoma or in, in, here at the Capitol or really statewide. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about, about, about how you see that role and why you thought it was important and how it's benefited fitted your area. Well, you know, I'm, I'm flattered that you, that you call me the ambassador from the panhandle because I'm just Kim Peterson. <laughs> but uh, but um, I guess all of it probably to, get, to give you a little history. Um, about 30 years ago, yeah, I'm, not, I'm I'm about that old. I was just a baby when I did it. But I was involved with the local chamber of commerce, and we had a uh, we had a chamber executive that you you'd get a if you, when you're on these board, you might get a phone call at at six o'clock some evening said so we're leaving to go to Oklahoma City at five o'clock in the morning be there we've got to be at the Capitol and so I learned the art of, learned part of the art of lobbying from him the start another thing I learned from him I didn't realize in fact I was thinking about the other day right I could almost beat Matt White out I'm better at branding than at selfies anyway, the thing that he taught me or he had a big white beard and I said, man, you know, and he knows I've got one. That's my COVID beard. But I, I said, man, I'd love to just be able to grow a beard and leave it because I hate to shave. And he said, well, I don't really care about the beard. But he said when he was in the chamber business first in Kansas, the beard was his trademark when he went to Topeka. So my trademark is orange. That's Guyman's color. 
that's also one of the other fine finest institutions in the state of Florida. <laughs> but so I've made it my signature signature color. You know, in my catering business, uh, most time I wear t-shirts and sweatshirts and stuff like that. So when I got elected, my uh, daughters uh, who are trying to make me a, fla- a fashion icon, I guess, they said, Dad, you can't wear sweatshirts and t-shirts to city council meetings or to the Capitol. <laughs> God, shirts. And I kind of let my, I had a couple that I used for funerals. That's about it. And weddings. So anyway, I, back then it was you couldn't find an orange shirt ten years ago. Hardly. An orange necktie was my was next to impossible. Now I notice that everybody's copying me because if you watch the news, nearly everybody's got an orange necktie on. So so I'm <laughs> but anyway, I use that that is that that has been my my part of my plan or what I do when I go to Oklahoma City. I'm very noticeable because of the orange. When I walk into the rotunda, when all the lobbyists and everybody's around are back when they could all be that way at a, at a larger extent than they are right now, uh, I would have cabinet secretaries would see me and they'd know it was the orange shirt and they'd walk across to see me instead of me having to walk over and interrupt them and shake their hands. And that didn't happen every time, but it happened quite a bit. But but I've used that. What I've done is, is I've used a lot of my travels downstate to build relationships uh, on just about every level and just about from every corner of the state. Uh, and I think that is very, very important in municipal government is a lot of people locally sit back and they uh, it's like, well, yeah, the state will take care of me or I'll send this piece of paper into DEQ or or I've got a problem with the tax commission, but I'll send them a letter or I'll send them an email. But if you have a public presence with some folks, you can make phone calls and generally get pretty rapid answers. And I've I've done that on several several things that we've had out here with my contacts downstate. And I do that for and it's not just for Guyman. I I I I'd step up as I said earlier. I I tried to we as Guyman we tried to do a lot of things to assist other towns. It, it's not physical. You don't really know about it, but we're here if you need me. I get phone calls from from quite a few of the mayors in, in the northwest Oklahoma, mainly the Panhandle, and not regularly, but but if they have an issue or a problem, they know I can join, find, lead them to an answer or to a person that can answer their problem. That's why I've kind of become, I guess, the ambassador for the Panhandle. Uh, you know, it's just something you got to do, and I think that's something that that in municipal in in locally elected officials like mayors vice mayors even council people so many of us donate our time it's a it's a non-paying position uh, some of the larger towns are able to assist in you know insist in motel rooms or travel so you're not bearing bearing the brunt of all the expenses you know you're you're donating your time and effort but a lot of the smaller towns, they don't have people that maybe are self-employed or don't have that that luxury of being able to do that. So the ones of us that can have to kind of stand up for our neighbors and the folks we know and and, and kind of watch out for them and help them. Yeah. Well, I think you I think you have been it, it has been bigger than Guyman for you. Uh, you. You do a really great job of representing that area that that has traditionally been 
underrepresented. I mean, even even at the legislature, because the population is smaller out there, so you don't ha- you know you have one senator that covers the majority of the area out there, and just a few reps. And so it takes. I think for that area and to have the notoriety statewide, you you people like Kim Peterson have to stand up and and explain to the people in Oklahoma City and at the Capitol why why is the why is the panhandle important and I think you've done a really good job of that well I appreciate that but but that comes that comes with the territory uh, and that also comes with you know I'm I'm one of the blessed people in the panhandle a uh, little of my background I'm fourth generation native three different ways three sets of my great grandparents came here and homesteaded back in in the early 1900s and uh, you know when you when you got that close a tie or or that type of relationship through family and you've lived somewhere all your time you know I've I've had I've had opportunities to uh, move over into northeastern Oklahoma back years ago when I taught school and a few other things with the one time I thought I wanted to work for an oil company, but figured out real quick I didn't. But they always wanted me to move somewhere that they had all these damn trees. <laughs> well, that's why I'm still out here. We can see the sun go up, come up, rise up in the morning. We can see it go down at night. And if we do the occasional few tornadoes we ever have, you can see them coming along. You can see them for miles. You know, my favorite – people, a lot of people know this, but our, our mayor's council of Oklahoma is was the, the largest and the oldest state-run mayor's council. I have to get that plug in there. But our, you guys are so close. Um, we're so close. I mean, I'm an alumni of that group too. But I think the best is when you, when you pointed out – and you did it with a, a visual map, a topography map. When you pointed out that Guymon is higher – than everybody else, and it was really devastating to uh, to Scotty in uh, Poto to learn that y- your elevation is much higher. So you're looking down on all of us all the time. That was I know Scotty was very upset about that. He thinks Poto actually has a mountain over there. Yeah, but it's the highest hill. They call it a mountain. It just barely makes it to a mountain. What by foot? <laughs> just barely. You know, <laughs> you know, well, we can. Be, it's all downhill from Guyman. <laughs> That's right. It is. But one of Mike, one of the things that that I've experienced when I do when I got elected, uh, I didn't go to the very first OML conference that they had because at the same time we were in the middle of a, of a water issue deal with the, with the, the governor's water plan that just came out, and I was attending OWRB meetings, board meetings, and stuff, and. Uh, to work on the water issue, because because water is our lifeblood. Mm-hmm. That's that the Ogallala. Everybody says, "Oh, we got to preserve, protect the Ogallala." Well, trust me, there's nobody in the world is going to protect the Ogallala except more than the people that sit on stand on top of it. You know, I I'm real lucky out here. I tell people that I live uh, I live about 350 feet from mm-hmm. the largest lake in North America, but that's the Ogallala aquifer and it's 350 feet down in the ground <laughs> but anyway waters are lifeblood so i didn't go but then then when i did i went to the very first mayor's summer conference though, and uh it was i had mixed feelings at first and then i had i had some people that wrapped their arms around me and said you're new let's get you involved let's get you introduced 
I met a mountain of a guy, and he was one of the first ones I met. And at the time, I I really, you know, everybody knows him will understand this, but the first time I met Ray Poland, it was kind of like, what? You know what? <laughs> Because <laughs> you know, here's this mountain of a man that's got this beard and, and you know, he's got his jewelry and he just, he's just. Tattoos up and down his arm, the whole thing, yeah. The whole thing. And then, you know, I was lucky enough to meet, oh, I was lucky, then I met Jimmy Trammell. <laughs> and, uh, that's another story in itself. But but I was fortunate enough and then I also met some, some, some other folks that probably were the, were the, the rock of my of my mentorship, and that'd be Bill Shuey, even though I didn't know he was brand new to it at the same time I was, and yeah. uh, Roscoe Hill and Jeff Shockley. And you know, if you're a mayor in Oklahoma, that was my goal. To be honest with you, I watched how uh, some of those guys worked, and I thought I want to be just like them, yeah. or I want to be maybe a little better. But I haven't I haven't got to that point yet. I've never reached that uh, peak where I can say I'm better than them, and I probably never will. I think you're 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 being modest because I think you are right there up on that Mount Rushmore of mayors um, for 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 your work. So don't don't sell yourself short, my friend. Well, okay. So let's talk about OML just a little bit. Uh, you, you know, we were established back in 1913. You and I know that, but it seems like every time I say that when I'm out doing public speaking engagements, that gets a little bit of a shock a response from people that we've been around for over a hundred years. But when you, you, you really think about the legacy, it's it's pretty cool that there's been this organization filled with men and women that have been just dedicated to protecting municipalities and helping municipalities. Uh, and, and it's been an interesting evolution over 100 years. And some really great people have come through here and done great things. So what, what do you see as your mark on the legacy of OML uh, during your time as president? Oh, boy. Well... I'm hoping that that my, the mark I finish when I get done, that that we will have com- accomplish some things that everybody's happy with, not just me. But uh, probably coming out of and you and I visited about this, coming out of the COVID and the pandemic and everything we've been through, and we're not, you know, we're not through with with that whole that whole atmosphere. Uh, and I know this, the illnesses are, are dropping off and and the People are getting vaccinated and all those things. But but the thing that's hanging out there that I think is going to be probably one of the cornerstones or keystones in, in the next year and a half for me is that we've got we've got issues right now. We've got a food. It's come back up. We've got a food supply issue, which a lot of people might say, no, nah, that's that's the people that have the packing plants and the. And stuff like that, but now you're lucky we've got them because we're the guys that keep uh, keep your fast food joint and hamburger meat. And when you go, and if you go to if you go out to eat at Junior's in Oklahoma City, we we produce that fine prime prime beef that he serves. <laughs> but but um, right now, you know the price of proteins, and, and this affects municipalities because it affects your people that run restaurants. They can't continue to absorb these inflationary costs. Uh, you know, in our business, meat meat prices with some of them, especially beef and pork, have almost doubled in the last two weeks. Uh-huh. So you got to decide: Do I go up on my prices and risk running people off from my establishment? But 
But I guess what I'm trying to lead up to is that the, the success of your local businesses lead to the success of your community. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate that with the OML and the, all the work that has gone on for years to finally get the Main Street Fairness Act, or that's what I refer to it at, so that we can have, so that these companies out of state like Amazon and, and other retailers, online retailers, have to collect and remit sales tax to local communities. It's not to the state, it's to each community, I guess, by zip code or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's been, a, for our small towns, that is a salvation. We've got so many small towns that that don't have a grocery store anymore. They don't have retail business. They they might have still have the school. They may not, but there's people that have homes and live there, but they can't afford to uh, operate the municipality without any funding. So so I think I'm taking a very kind of circular route on this deal. I think that's one thing. One of the things that I think that cities and towns are going to have to continue to stay involved with, especially in rural areas, is uh, access to rural health care. Even though all the dollars have been thrown into COVID in the health care industry, most of that money's been spent already in most of your hospitals because they've had to retrofit rooms so they could have the pressurized heat and air systems and by ventilators and all the things that go into running a hospital. Mm-hmm. But I think there's going to be so many challenges facing cities and towns that I think this is going to be the time that OML needs to put on its crown or its shining star or get out its magic wand, whatever you want to call it. And we've got to we've got to stay on top of that and make sure that post COVID we can make some wise decisions so that one, thank God, goodness gracious, I hope. I hope that we never have to go through this again. Uh, in my mind, I, I hope that, or my, my heart says that. My mind says, don't be, be naive. This has happened <laughs> once. They've figured out, everybody's figured out how to, what, what they think needs to happen, and here we are. So I think there's going to be so many challenges for, for cities, towns, and uh, communities all over the state that we've got to get together, and we've got to work together. And we've got to push for several things. One of the things OML does so great, and, and Mike, I'm probably going to segue into your other deal, but yeah, that, go right ahead. one of the things that OML does so well, and a lot of people don't realize, but, but I, I think you and I talked this morning, there's like approximately 586 towns, cities, and villages, incorporated communities in the state of Oklahoma. And OML we service something like 485 of those communities or, or members of OML. But for that 101 communities that aren't, we still don't deny them a lot of our services. There are some they don't get, but if they have legislative questions or need to put input into our lobbying efforts, we're more than happy to, to assist them or welcome them on board. Uh, some of our legal legal services, a lot of these small towns don't have the budget or they can't afford a, a city attorney. They, 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 most of them have one, but it's not as full-time as a community like Guyman. We've, we've got one of the best in the state. So OML assists in that. Uh, we do the new officers training, which is mandatory when you get elected. Um, we've also 
and I and I'm gonna brag on this one a little bit because I'm gonna brag on Cheryl Adams and Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Because several years ago we were having some issues with, and and they're not they weren't critical issues, but mainly our two statutory boards, like our planning board and our zoning and variance board, had kind of got to the point that it was oh. I'm, I'm going to call it stagnant. They had been doing it. The people have been on there for a long time. Well, anyway, some of them got decided they were done. So we we brought in some new some bunch, a whole new bunch of faces, and we we elected to make those people members of both boards. So they meet. They have two agendas, but we have the same the same people on both boards. Whether and it's worked real well. But anyway, what we did, what we did was I called Cheryl. And her and Daniel put together a training program for a municipal planning and for zoning and a variance board. They came out to Guyman. I think Guyman was the first one they did. And that thing has taken off, I think, pretty well. And, 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 we're, and I know you're working, OML's working on some other educational programs like that. So probably what I'm, what I'm leading into is that most with a little assistance, most communities could have a almost a talkback TV system, not a go-to-meeting, but somewhere maybe where we have cameras and you know can interact with people, so that they we can do a lot of this training online, so that one, those folks don't have to take time off from their jobs, and everybody get together with a group of 20 or 30 to do that training from other towns. It can be done on a, on a more individualized basis or on a larger basis. But a lot of those small communities don't have the resources, the time, and and, and money to uh, to take time off and attend a lot of those sites. Some some areas of the state that's not a problem. But I think I think the educational aspect of OML is tremendous. The most important thing, in my opinion, is our lobbying efforts. Because without the OML watching the legislature, and yes. Most of the senators, most of the representatives are, are great people, and they become good friends. But we all begged, we all have that deal that that we uh, we agree to disagree. Right. <laughs> and and the other part of it is 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 OML and, and municipalities. We are are nonpartisan. We've got to stay that way so that we can continue to represent everybody in our community. We don't get into a political divide. Uh, you know, I've got friends that are on the mayor's council and friends I've known since I've been made good friends that up until recently, I didn't know whether they were Republican or whether they were Democrat or an independent. And I, right. think, I think there's a few libertarians maybe sprinkled in there, but I'm not going to talk. <laughs> but, but but that's that's the whole makeup of municipalities. We are elected to serve all the constituents. We don't need to make to politicize it. And, uh, and I think that one of our big things in the Capitol is we go down and, and some of us have the time to go down and we're fortunate enough that our lobbyists take us under the wing. You know, uh, when I first miss, met Missy Dean, I, I, I've told you this, Mike, and, and Missy will probably listen to that and I hope she does. But you know, the first time I was ever met Missy Dean, I, you get that first impression, and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> because, because this energetic, 
short-legged, blonde-haired lady got up in front of us and was telling us about signing die and all this legislative stuff, which is kind of new to most of us. A lot of us, not all of us. And but but as time went on, found out how great a partner she was with with all the people that come to the city. And she taught me, and then Bill Phelps come on came on board. But those folks got me involved in lobbying on a municipal scale. And it's yeah. a lot of work. And you can do it effectively. You can do it over the telephone and with emails. But when you're in person, it's it's kind of hard for them to tell you no sometimes. No, but it is. One of our big deals is the lobbying, the lobbying aspect that OML provides for every city in the state. Because we have we've been hit with a lot a lot of preemption bills over the last few years trying to take away our local controls and and who's better to control yourself than your local people you you know uh, yep. i'm happy with all of our legislators and and our representatives on the national and state level but there's there's a there's a slot for everybody in the makeup of this game on our our populist background in Oklahoma lends itself to local control more, so it's a little disingenuous when they don't respect that at the Capitol. So, and I'm and I'm not saying that, but there's sometimes that some people come up with with the preemption bills, and we've had to fight them, and luckily we've stopped a lot of them. One of the things, and trust me, it started before I was ever elected, but there's some fine folks, and there's a fine lady from Tulsa who worked her heart out to get the uh, public safety districts passed yes which is an, is another it's not anything we had people fight us on it what it is is enabling legislation the way i understand it that enables local communities to go together and form districts tax districts to help fund uh police fire those types of public laws. public safety ambulance type deals it's getting so expensive to operate those three programs, police, fire, and ambulance. And if you've got that in your in your municipality, you know how much it costs to operate. And it's uh, one fine and qualified people, but the, one of the biggest expenses to communities is the expense of getting those people trained and keeping yes. them, and the cost of the equipment. You know, we're we're buying new new heart monitors, and when I they told me a price of what six of them cost. It was almost, uh, you know. You, need, you needed a heart monitor at that I mean, point I, after I you. Did. I, you know, I needed a defibrillator <laughs> at that time. Right. But then, they, then they looked like they were going to try mouth to mouth, and I said, "No, we're not going there." <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, but there's so many things that that OML helps with cities, and there's so many things I want to see accomplished. Uh, and I think most of them are doable. It's, they're not going to be overnight things, you know that. There's that uh, old saying. There's that thousand-pound gorilla in every corner of every of everybody has one. And as far, in my opinion, cities and town, our thousand-pound gorilla is is our the way that Oklahoma's tax structure for cities and towns is set up. Where we rely yeah. strictly on sales tax revenue, uh, fees, fines, sales of utilities. If we're if you're lucky enough to have your utilities to make income. But I think we've got to choose a moment. We've already started having little discussions. I think we're going to have to really choose the moment and step up and look at a separate but distinct ad valorem tax for for communities, uh, for towns, cities, and towns. I don't want to. I don't want to be uh, the first thing everybody joins says when you talk about that is, 
oh, you're going to take away tax revenue from counties and schools. No, my plan and people don't like taxes, but that's how that's how you pay for things. Okay. And, you know, we're plus coming out of COVID. This is a, a thought I had in my mind. It kind of goes along with this tax situation. But, you know, for eons and years and years since since God put man on the face of the earth, man finally figured out that, that, that they were they could if they banded together and formed communities, whether it's small towns, villages, that they could either they could do several things and they could go together and provide the services they all needed, whether it was digging a water well, whether it was aqueducts later on. And, and you're looking like time's about up, Mike. So you tell me when. <laughs> We're getting a little close, but keep going. Um, That's interesting. Everybody bands together to provide services, and it's grown yeah. into organized cities with organized elected structures uh, for everything, just about. Well, we've, we're, we're coming out of COVID. We're going to have to rethink and redo some of those things, I think. Uh, we've got to get our we've got to get our communities back together that they're, that our atmosphere isn't as divisive. You know, I live in Guyman, and we have, I think right now, approximately 34 to 35 dis- different ethnicities in our community. And just almost every one of them speaks a, a different language or just a little different form of Spanish or Latin or whatever. But I think we've got to we've got to work with our citizens to reunite ourselves, reinvigorate ourselves, that we're not the Harley-Davidson riders of Guyman, Oklahoma, or the guys that like to shoot pheasants from Guyman, Oklahoma. We've got to get back to the point that we're all citizens of Guyman. We're all in it for the good of the community. And But if you're going to live in a community, there's, there's, there's expenses that go along with them, and the only the only thing we can do is either you you make up you, you pay for those things through taxes or you go up on your fees or you go up on your utility rates and nobody likes nobody wants to spend anymore i hate taxes just as much as anybody else but it's one of those one of those uh, things that we've all got to face and we've all got to we've all got to contribute if we want for the good of the whole Absolutely. So that does just get us about time on the podcast today. We've been talking to uh, Mayor Kim Peterson and the new OML president as well uh, today. And it's going to be a really great ride at OML with him at the helm. You can tell by uh, just his vision of where we're going and, and just his passion for not only the panhandle, but the state of Oklahoma. So it's been great talking to you today, Kim. Please uh, join us on the podcast in coming weeks. We'll continue to have interesting municipal guests, and thanks for joining us today. Mm